Well, good morning, Sun Valley Church. Welcome back to the Voice of the Valley. It is me. <laughs> Did you really just do that? You no, no. We have to keep it. You made me keep that one uh, a couple weeks ago, where I was checking on coffee. Oh gosh! And across the table from me yeah. is <laughs> Pastor Rick Whitmer. <laughs> oh it's man, me. it's me. It's me. Hey. Did you forget where you were? I did for a moment. Went off script there. Yeah, because you got me all riled up before the What it about podcast. what? Nothing. Because it's just gonna it's gonna it'll rile up. It'll yeah, divide our listeners. It will. We don't. There's yeah. Yeah, you're riled up, all right. Yeah, I forgot my name and what I was gonna say. So, it's me, Jeremy. So, hey you. <laughs> Uh, Rick, good to see you again, man. Yeah, it's good to see you too. Yeah, this is this is our last few podcasts before uh, John gets back to uh, back from sabbatical. So, oh man, he's going to be That's back. True. He's going to be back in the studio with us. Maybe, maybe unless he's like, I don't want to do any more podcasts with you. We, guys. I have no clue what to expect. Yeah. I honest, I haven't. I don't know if I've talked to him since he's been gone. I don't know what his plans are when he gets back. I hope I, I still have a job. <laughs> Well, he's been calling me weekly, asking me about you, and I just. Uh, there, I've heard. I've heard talk. <laughs> <laughs> I actually know. I heard. I heard from him uh, a few weeks back. He he just texted me out of the blue and just asked how. Well, I was he's doing. texted me a couple times, yeah. but I haven't talked. I don't think I've talked to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think mm. he's doing well. I think so too. I think he's doing fine. He sounds good. Via text. On text. Yeah. And you know. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, it's... He brought me an In-N-Out shirt from In-N-Out Burger. Did he? In Nevada. He left it on my desk one day. Well, I'm going to have to complain it's to amazing. him about I'm that. I'm so hungry now. <laughs> I had oatmeal for lunch, and I'm talking about In-N-Out Burger. Oh. Yeah. Disappointing. It's so good. It's been years. I could really use a double-double. We need to go to the Shepherds Conference this year. Could we? Yeah, get some In-N-Out. They had In-N-Out Burger at the VBS down there at Grace Community Church. I saw a video. This One of these kids was wearing an In-N-Out hat. And it was just like in passing. But I paused and I rewound the video because I was like, I think I just saw an In-N-Out hat. Sure enough, I did. <laughs> You're obsessed, man. I just really know what I like. I really <laughs> like In-N-Out Burger. It's my favorite food. Um, I saw a video the other day on Not The Bee. Uh, from the Guinness World Record holder of most Big Macs eaten in a lifetime. Did you see that? I saw something about it, yeah. I didn't watch the video. Oh, it's like a five-minute video. The guy's super kind. He's a very nice man. His name's Don Gorski, and he's eaten like 32,500 Big Macs in his life. And he's I'm kept sure his every single. His cholesterol's amazing. Yeah. He's not overweight. His cholesterol's doing very good. Seriously? He's kind of like Donald Trump in that regard, where you could just eat junk and gen- like... For the most part, it's not taking a terrible toll. And that's all he eats. He eats two a day. He started back in 1972, eating nine a day. Oh. He's kept every carton, every receipt. He's got... His house is like filled with that stuff. I feel like there's so much more you could do with your life. Like in an out burger. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I've eaten 32,000 double-doubles. Yeah. Yes, exactly. 
I, I don't think that would be he some, doesn't know. I don't think that would be something I'd be he proud of. No. I <laughs> I don't think I would keep the receipts of thirty two thousand burgers that I ate in my life. But then again, I'm not this guy. If you love something, set it free. And if it <laughs> if it comes back to you. What are we talking about today? Oh loving Food. our enemies. I'm, now, I'm so hungry. Maybe he viewed his uh, uh, Big Macs as his enemy. I think he'd see a Whopper as his enemy. Yes, and so he eats Big Macs. We are talking about loving enemies. (laughs) Yes, Rick, you preached this last Sunday. You you finished uh, chapter 5. Matthew 5. Congratulations. That's big. Thank you. That's a big step. You still have a few more chapters to go here. A couple more. It'll be a while. We're gonna when we get to um, the Lord's Prayer, that will be another. You know, we took one beatitude a week. Yeah, we're gonna take one petition. Oh, good. Um, per sermon on the Lord's Prayer and really delve deep into that. <laughs> Was that sarcastic? <laughs> oh, 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 good, great. Get to spend some time in the Lord's Prayer. Can't wait. So, how's your prayer life? Yeah, super. Is yeah. it? It's Is so it based on. Your... I spend a lot of time praying for my enemy. Do you? Yeah, you're one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's why you have bear spray. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Matthew five forty three through 48 reads, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, so Christ, I mean, obviously throughout the Sermon on the Mount is taking some bad ideas that have seeped into Jewish um, religion and he's flipping it on its head. So he says, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I think nowadays it seems like our enemies seem to be those who may have a differing political view than us. More often than not, it's kind of how we view people. Kind of. Is is this what Jesus is talking about? Who Who is Jesus referring to when he's talking about loving our enemies? Um. So the word enemy, just, it means you're someone who opposes you. That's what it means. And so he doesn't get into a precise boundary. Um, It really, he has in view anybody who's put themselves in opposition to you. He doesn't delineate politically, spiritually. Um, uh, In in Luke 6, 27, um, so Luke 6 is the parallel. It's Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount. I know some people think that it's a different sermon, yeah. the Sermon on the Plain. Um, I, I think it's the same sermon with a different account yeah. uh, from Luke. And uh, he says, Jesus says in that, in that account, but I say to you uh, who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other, you know, which we saw last week in the in Matthew's account. And so we have a few things there that kind of give us a hint at who 
Jesus would consider our enemies to be. Um, people who hate us, who curse us, who abuse us. And he's not using the term abuse in the strict legal sense that we that we use the term abuse, but it would definitely include that. Yeah. It would be people who are who are not treating us well, who are not for us, they are against us. Yeah. Uh, so what does it what does it mean, I guess, to love our enemies? What are some what are some practical ways in which we can love those who are against us? Well, uh, you know, here Jesus is to pray for them. That's a that's a pretty significant way yeah. that we can love them. Yeah. Um, love, love is not like biblically defined. Love is not focusing on feelings as much as it is on action. Um, so DC talk when I was a kid had this song, love is a verb. It's true. Yeah. Actually, uh, love is a verb. And so it's, it's, man, (laughs) it's acting in for their good. So if we're in a position to do good for our enemy, that would be what we do to love them. Um, it's obviously not. It's obviously to do the opposite of harming them, which is people's gut reaction is to get them back. And we looked at that kind of. This is really related to last week's sermon on retaliation. Sure. This is basically an extension of that. Yeah. Not only don't retaliate, but actively love. Yeah. So when Jesus says that we are to pray for our enemies, is he talking about those types of prayers in the Psalms where they're asking the Lord to smash the teeth of his enemies and destroy their children and also known as imprecatory Psalms? Is is that what Jesus is talking about? Do you want it to be what Jesus is talking about? Well, so I know that would make your prayer life a lot more easy. I know that's that's I, what you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thinking about um, some of the persecution that's taking place in the Middle East, for example. Right. Yeah. Like, is it is it wrong for us to pray for for God to pour out His indignation on those who are performing evil against fellow believers, or not even believers, but just you know, random citizens of, of these countries. Is that, is that a wrong thing to pray for? No. Um, but I'm going to qualify that obviously. Um, the reason I know it's not what Jesus imprecatory Psalms are there for a reason. They, they are, this is part of the prayer book of the Christian life as much as, um, as the Psalms of praise, right? We have, a dozen or around a dozen imprecatory psalms, psalms that pray for God to visit justice upon the wicked, particularly the wicked who are harassing, persecuting, and out to get God's people or the psalmist. And what the psalmists are doing, and especially David, is he is he is the theocratic king of Israel. He is the one um, anointed with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of governing God's people. He stands in for Israel as their head. And so one of the things that's happening in the Psalms, there's several things happening, but one of them is that David is praying on behalf of Israel, mm-hmm. God's chosen and beloved people, the apple of his eye. And so when people are coming against David, they're coming against Israel's head to do him harm. And 
David's praying for the vindication of God's glory. It's not a personal vengeance prayer. It's a prayer that actually is that God would be magnified in justice. Because one of the things that that we may not um, think of as naturally is that all of God's attributes or his perfections are glorious. Um, It's not that God's mercy is especially sweet, but his justice is something we just deal with. Sure. No. All of who God is, is glorious. And so Paul in Romans 9 talks about how he deals with election and God's purpose in election, Mm kind of like that, where he says, what if God, to display his mercy, was patient toward some, and to display his justice, didn't choose others? Both displays are displays of God, because God never does anything unjust. He is righteous. Hell is entirely just. Hell is a display of God's perfect justice. Mm-hmm. So when we we can look at an enemy like um, a persecute, like when I hear about Fulani herdsmen in Nigeria who yet again have burned down churches, kidnapped children, and and raped my sisters in Christ mm-hmm. in Nigeria, mm-hmm. our proper response is anger. Mm-hmm. That ought to make us angry. If we're not angry at that, something's wrong on our end. Hmm. We have no right not to be angry at injustice. In Psalm 5, I think it says God hates um, evil every day. Or or it certainly says that God hates evil, and it's another place that God hates evil every day. Um, So here's how that can kind of work out practically, is we have to guard against vengeance in our hearts, Okay. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We want that to be reflected in our prayers. Mm-hmm. But what I'm suggesting is that the imprecatory psalms are not wrong for us because God supplied these prayers for us. Hmm. We need to pray them in light of the gospel. Okay, And what that looks like is... So back when ISIS was really gearing up around 2015, I was praying imprecatory prayers when I would pray about ISIS. But it it looked like this, something like, Lord, judge their evil. I, I pray that you would bring them to repentance. Judge their evil at the cross on your son. Because hmm. that's God's judgment on sin. Hmm. Um, so judge their evil. Display your justice. Please do it at the cross and draw them to, to Christ. Hmm. If they will not repent in your sovereign purpose, if this whoever it is who did this will not repent, please end their reign of destruction that they may not heap up more judgment on themselves and destroy them. Hmm. And I, I think that's an entirely appropriate prayer. So we can pray for God's judgment on evildoers for their repentance yeah. because God's judgment will come on their sin. Yeah. If in his sovereignty they will not repent and they're digging in their heels, um, then we we ought to pray that God's justice would be done. Yeah. And when I hear about somebody who, you know, molested a child or, or whatever, because I get a lot of news feeds, you know, that come across my phone, I'll oftentimes pray, Lord, may the full weight of 
justice be done upon this person. May they be dis- may they be caught. May they be prosecuted. May they may justice be done for their crimes. And would you please would you bring them to repentance? Because mm. those two things aren't contradictory. Mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis once said that if if we uh, if I you know go and murder somebody and I am repentant for it and truly sorry and come to Christ, then the proper response is to ask for forgiveness and then hand myself over to the hangman. Hmm. Because there is such a thing as earthly justice that displays the divine justice. In fact, Romans 13 says that the government, as we talked about last week, is ministers of God who bear the sword for vengeance. Yeah. And it's God's vengeance that they're doing yeah. on evil. Yeah. So... Yeah. I, that's kind of, we, we, sorry, the imprecatory psalm thing is kind of complex. And so I'm, I apologize if that was kind of a roundabout answer, but I sure. those are some of the things that I think through when I'm sure. thinking about that. Now, does that mean, does that mean when, you know, earthly justice is brought upon somebody, does that mean as, as believers, we celebrate that, we rejoice in that? What should our response be when, when, when justice, I guess, is, is brought upon the evildoer somber relief i think somber relief i think it'd be kind of odd to look at somebody bearing the full consequence of their evil and then cackling because mm-hmm. uh, we ourselves are evil by nature and we can't lose sight of that you yeah. there's no material there's no difference between um a chinese guard torturing a uyghur right now at this moment um, and me accept the grace of God, yeah. That yeah, right. Has restrained my sin and drawn me to repentance. Right. If I was born in China and raised under a communist brainwashing regime, um, I could super easily be that guy. Yeah. And so we always want to keep the gospel in view, and also realize that the gospel there, there's nothing contradictory in God. His mercy mm-hmm. and His justice can triumph simultaneously. And that's what the cross is, is the triumph of his mercy and his justice at once. But when it comes out to the human level, sometimes those things, we need to be careful in how we parse them out. Yeah. But we can, we ought to be glad when true justice on earth, which is always an imperfect shadow of eternal, of God's perfect justice spiritually. But when it's done, because that means that something has worked correctly yeah. in response to evil. But yeah. let's not rejoice about like, oh, good, needles in his arm, he's dead. Yeah. Or, right. like, yay. <laughs> right. This is a somber thing. Yeah. And I think that's an important point that you brought up is is this idea of the common and special grace that we have, because Jesus brings that up here, is this idea of a, a common grace that's experienced by all people. Yeah. He he says, um, uh, where are we at? What passage? Right? Matthew 5. Matthew 43 5. through 48. 43 through 48. Oh, okay. So verse 45, he says, For he, being God, makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain to the just and on the unjust. So there's there's that idea of, of common grace, that God God extends grace both to um, the un, the just and the unjust. Yeah. He, he The sun comes up, the sun goes down. The rain comes, it doesn't come. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this idea of, of a special grace that we experience through Christ um, that others don't experience. Redemption. Redemption. Yeah. So we, I think it's important to understand that, that we, 
besides outside of God's grace, we we are just as capable and still are, right. I think, um, yeah. capable of, of grave evil, grave evil. And so we, we come back to the foot of the cross, thanking Christ for, for what was accomplished on our behalf. Yeah. Daily. I think that's behind that song we sang a couple of weeks ago. Amazing Grace. You know, John Newton. Never heard of it. You know, yeah. Well, it's been a couple of weeks, and I yeah. know it's obscure. So yeah. <laughs> I'm not in my joggy memory. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and John Newton, what was his profession? He was a sailor. A slave trader, Not sorry. Not just a sl- sailor. He was a slave ship yeah. captain, right? Yeah. He was a special kind of sailor. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. when he was saved, if I have my history correct, he didn't stop slave shipping mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. Slave shipping wasn't one of those things where like, oh my word, I've been forgiven for my sins. I'm done. Here's the keys to the ship or whatever they do to the papers or the keys to here's this here's the hat here's the captain's hat there you go he that kept, sounds you know boring. he kept doing it for a little while until he was convicted by the holy spirit in his process of sanctification yeah. this is wholly unfitting for someone who's been forgiven yeah. who was a slave of sin who was set free yeah. and newton felt the weight of it yeah yeah that's really good i didn't expect us to go down that route that we just did but i think that was really important to to get into that stuff. Yeah. Because I think it's easy for us as Christians to, you know, when we see evil is to celebrate in the death of, of somebody or, mm-hmm. uh, which it, justice is brought, but also mourning the, the soul that's been lost to the eternal flames, you know? Yeah. Um, well, Proverbs, and I forget which proverb it is. It actually talks about that. It says, do not rejoice. Um, when your enemy falls, lest God be displeased. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. So how do we, how does our love for our enemies, uh, how does it reflect the gospel? Um, because that's what God did to us when we were his enemies. Okay. That was very, very John-like of you. Well, I'm just... <laughs> trying to think of a more perf- <laughs> how do i make that question sound like the bible ooh, we're, says we're so. digging deep on this we are digging deep actually um the bible yeah. tells me so no i was thinking romans five ten. yeah um which says if while we were enemies we were reconciled to god by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life more than that we also rejoice in god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have now received reconciliation our loving our enemies is kind of an, it's pretty close to an apples to apples reflection of God's posture toward us mm. when we hated him. Mm. And, you know, in Romans 12, when Paul says, don't take vengeance, but leave it to the Lord. Show your enemy kindness, feed him if he's hungry, clothe him if he needs it give him something to drink if he's thirsty. And in this way, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And he's yeah. quoting Proverbs. Yeah. This idea of loving our enemies really stops the flow of sinful human nature. Yeah. Because Pe- people don't expect it. And they always pause at the unexpected and scratch their heads. And it's during the head scratching that we can go, hey, <laughs> there's a reason for this. Yeah. And how many Christians have been able to, in court... Um, give testimony to that. Yeah. 
I forget the name of the young man who's who was shot in his apartment by that officer a couple years ago who mm. thought that she was going into her apartment and then shot him dead because she thought he was an intruder in her apartment, but really she was the intruder in his. Mm. She had gotten off her police shift and she was, you know, and it, the footage is very arresting. Mm. In court, when his brother got up, and and this is totally contra to the narrative that the mainstream media wants us to continue to latch on to. Here's a white woman police officer and a black young man whose brother was shot dead in his own apartment without provocation. And what does he do? He gets up and he asks the judge if he can embrace her. And as they're weeping together, he tells her what Christ has done for him. Hmm. Hmm. That's the kind of thing that love your enemies gives opportunity for. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think that's why some some Christian biographies are so appealing. Mm-hmm. Is is those types of things keep coming out? Is you know how much abuse some some people have gone through, yeah. and yet they can continue to love their enemies. You know, I think of Richard Wormbrand. Wormbrand, yeah. Wormbrand. Mm-hmm. I mean, his, his book "Tortured for Christ" is so revealing <laughs> in in what other humans can do to to people what humans can do to each other, um, and yet what the grace of Christ can do uh, in the midst of torture and, and and people coming to faith because of that. Like yeah. praying for your enemy, like literally watching this or reading this unfold in, 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 in real time, not real time, but in the past. But And what's the preeminent example of that? Praying for your enemy in the midst of suffering. Christ. Yeah. Yeah, on the cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Right. Yeah. It's a beautiful picture. And so I guess for us, Rick, um, going kind of going back to that first question of is if, if somebody disagrees with us, we, we can jump on the train of like, you know, get them, God. Yeah. You know, smash, smash their teeth. How can we respond with grace in the midst of what we're kind of going through as as a nation? Because it seems to kind of be gearing towards more of a, a heavier persecution coming our way. Yes, that's um, true. How can we how can we just practically love those who who are against us? Um. So this plays out on a couple different levels. We have opponents who are believers. Sometimes mm-hmm. we shouldn't, but let's face it. Sometimes people disagree with me, and I've got the right perspective, and so they're my. No, I'm just kidding. Jen's <laughs> I shouldn't say that kind of stuff in public. Um, but it, in all honesty, I think this last year in the broader church, we saw that. We saw a massive rift in among brothers and sisters in Christ who are gospel centered grace-driven, mission-minded, who are solid, unified on the doctrines of grace, made it through the seeker-sensitive movement of the 90s, made it through the emergent church temptations of the early, you know, 21st century, and yet got divided and broken up on the social justice frenzy of now. And in a real sense, we have opponents who we love within the church. Now, it's easy to get hostile. 
toward them. Mm-hmm. But first remembering what the, what Jesus prayed on the night he was betrayed. Uh, Jesus died so that we may be one. So if it's an opponent, not necessarily an enemy, but an opponent within the church who's a brother or sister in Christ, we have to go back to what, how does God see us? He sees us as one, and he he sees us that way at the cost of his son. So should we be so quick to divide what God has united in Christ? If it's an enemy on the outside, which is typically how scripture talks about enemies as unbelievers, people who are dead set against righteousness, mm-hmm. whose worldview is hostile toward the gospel, um, we need to remember that their greatest need is the gospel. Mm. Their biggest problem isn't having a different viewpoint from us. It's that they have rejected God's only means of salvation for them. Mm -hmm. And if we can keep that in mind with God's help, all of a sudden that clarifies a lot of problems. Because for whatever serious disagreements we have, and they are serious, none is greater and more serious than the fact that this is somebody who is, if they die today, going to hell. And I may be the only person through whom they're exposed to the gospel. So keep that crystal clear that will i believe be a massive way to love our enemies if we realize that we may be the only ambassador of christ that they're going to be exposed to before they face judgment yeah and yes they're mistreating but that's in their nature it's in their nature to mistreat they're an enemy of god second pulse very very practical did you have a scripture you want to read? No. No, I'm just... Are you was, sure? Yeah. Okay. No, go for I it. I didn't want to speed past it if you had a... Nope. Okay. Um, Paul's very practical in Romans 12. I keep going back to Romans 12 and 13 past couple weeks because it really is good. It's really helpful. Yeah. He says, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Hmm. What does that tell you? You might not be at peace with all people no matter how hard you try. Yeah. You may have gotten every roadblock out of the way on your side of the street, but they may be heaping up bricks, and there's a wall that you just can't get past. That's yeah. okay. That It's a broken world. Not all relationships are going to be salvaged. Yeah. But may it not be on account of us. And so we need to make sure that we've taken ownership for all of our stuff yeah. in, an, in a dispute so that we can say with a clear conscience, Lord, I did my best with your help, but this is where they are, and, and we're... I just pray for them because there's nothing more I can do. And then I think regularly pray for them and check your own heart against bitterness because that stuff creeps in usually silently, usually subtly, and usually slowly. And it can be there as a kind of a, a, a deep root, yeah. deeper than we realize, quicker than we know. Yeah. So we have to constantly be going back to guard our own heart against bitterness, which is our human nature toward our enemies. Yeah. So those are just a few things. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. And it's good to be reminded that, um, you know, John 13 through 17 is a great uh, uh, portion of Scripture huh. to remind ourselves of, of the hope that we have in Christ. Yes. Uh, the help that comes from the Spirit um, and understanding that the world's going to hate us. Like, Jesus Jesus makes that pretty clear in, in John chapter 16, 15, 14. One of those passages mm-hmm. where, where he's, you know, if the world hates you, know that it's it's hated me first and they're going to hate you because they hate me. And so I think this passage of, of being reminded that we are to love our enemies, that we're called to reconcile the world to Christ, 
um, second Corinthians five is, is that passage that I was, I was looking at, uh, which says from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not accounting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are the ambassadors for mm-hmm. Christ. That's who we are. Yeah. Yeah. That's who we are. Yeah. And there's a, you know, the old saying, love the sinner, hate the sin. That's actually pretty good. Like, that's pretty good counsel. We're called to abhor what is evil, to cling to what is good. Yeah. So I can hate, I mean, and I do, I hate um, communism, but I can love the person who is embracing it yeah. while I'm working as dead set against it as I can. Yeah. Cause we're working against satanic ideas. Yeah. And these are people who are enslaved to those ideas. Yeah. But we would like them to be saved out of them. Yeah. And ultimately the biggest bad idea that they're enslaved to is that Jesus Christ is not Lord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we always have to keep the main thing, the main thing while we're working for all the other good things that God calls us to. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Well, church, uh, we hope that this podcast was encouraging to you uh, as much of a struggle as this can be because we struggle with our own sins. Um, But love your enemies just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us while we were his enemies. And remember, you have to be perfect. As your heavenly father is perfect. So that's somewhere in the passage. You gotta depend on Christ. Yeah. Church, we love you. Uh thanks, Rick. You're welcome. Appreciate it. It's been a good summer. Thanks yeah. for doing this with me. Yeah. We still have a few more to go. So we're not I mean we're not ending it here. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. We do have a couple more. Yeah. Church, we love you. We hope that you have a great week and we look forward to being with you next week on the Voice of the Valley. Have a great day. <laughs>